um, in the bulletin, there's no uh, scripture reading. We're actually going to take a, a look at all the, the Mission of God passages. Well, not all of them. There, there, there are literally hundreds of them. But we're going to take a, a, a quick perusal of all the big ones. And I want to set the tone. And so if um, you like looking up Bible verses, then pull out your Bible and follow along with me. And uh, we're just going to go from front to back. I've got a bunch of tabs here, see? And we're going to go from front to back, and we'll start in Genesis, and we'll just keep trucking through. And I hope by the end of it, you'll see how awesome, how strong, how, how passionate God's heart is for his mission. And uh, we're going to start in Genesis 1. So if you don't like flipping pages, don't worry. I'll read it, read it loud and clear so you won't miss a beat. But uh, if you want to follow along, we're starting with Genesis 1.31. This is the storyline. This is the backdrop. Genesis 1, after creating, after uh, six days of creation, at the end of the sixth day, Genesis chapter 1, verse 31 says this, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. When God finished creating, of course, on the seventh day he rested, when he finished his, his creation work, he looked back and the creator of the universe, the God who, who has been since the beginning and will never end, looked at his work and said, this is very good. We were made for God's pleasure. And God made creation for our pleasure. And most importantly, we find our highest pleasure and deepest satisfaction when we have what the Bible calls shalom, or perfect harmony, or perfect well-being. And that creation was very good. There was shalom there. And shalom has two different uh, directions. One is we can have shalom, we can have well-being with God, and we can have well-being with each other. And in creation, in the beginning, we had perfect shalom. We had perfect well-being with God, and we had perfect well-being with each other. And that, when you have perfect shalom like that, that's when you have your deepest satisfaction. That's where you have your highest pleasure. Partying with the guys on Friday night is, a, is way low here compared to perfect shalom, way up here. Deep satisfaction, deep contentment. But then the next chapter tells us how that shalom, that well-being is destroyed through human choice. Humans decide to do what is easy, what we want, even if it's against God's design, God's guidance, God's instruction. The humans say, well, he's the creator of the universe, but does he really know everything? And the rest of, we destroy that shalom. We destroy that well-being. We destroy that perfect peace between God, that perfect well-being between God and with each other. Human beings go into hiding. They start blame shifting. There's murder. There's envy. There's strife. The rest of God's book, from Genesis on through the end of Revelation, is God's preparations and plans for complete restoration. That's what the rest of the Bible is about, in some way or another. Restoring shalom. And God begins carrying out those plans through the very means of corruption. Corruption came through us. But he begins carrying out his restoration through us, through the human race. Restoring shalom, well-being with God and well-being with other, each other is the driving force 
the reason to be throughout the Bible. In each testament, in each book, in every application point, one of three things are addressed. Either well-being with God is addressed, well-being with each other is addressed, or third, there's a, a call to the mission of restoration. Every piece of the Bible, every scripture, every chapter has, has to do with one of those three things. Well-being with God, restoration of that. Well-being with each other, restoration of that. Or a call to the mission to join the restoration project. This third piece, God's mission to restore, is what we'll focus on. And I want to start with some familiar passages. Flip over um, 12, 11 chapters to Genesis 12. And this is a very f- familiar Abraham's blessing. In Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3, the Bible reads, The Lord said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, your father's household. There's mission there, being sent. And go to the land I will show you, and I'll make you a great nation, and I'll bless you, and I'll make your name great, and you'll be a blessing, and I'll bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I'll curse, and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. That's the first play of the game. God kicks off his restoration mission through Abraham right there. We're going to go through these quick because I have a bunch of them. Turn with me to Exodus 19. The people of God are slowly built up through the family of Abraham to the point where they're so numerous, the the king, the pharaoh of Egypt, where they're living, decides to enslave them. And they're in slavery for 400 years. And then God sends a deliverer, Moses, to rescue his people, rescue the people he's called out and has sent on a mission. And uh, in, verse, in chapter 19, Exodus 19, verses 5 and 6, we get a little glimpse, this little snapshot of um, how, how God's going to bless everybody, not just the people of God. God's going to bless everybody, not just the people of God. And this comes even before the Ten Commandments. This comes right before the Ten Commandments. So God is just establishing, after 400 years of, of disconnect, really, God is just establishing a relationship with this nation, with this people group. And uh, before he even gives them the Ten Commandments, the Ten Guides for, for, for um, you know, pathways for living in this relationship, he says this, Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be, for me, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now, you may say, that's that's cool. Uh But in a church, um, how many priests or or pastors are there usually? There's usually just a, a handful, and they minister to the congregation. And they equip and enable the congregation to, uh, to, to minister. Well, God's saying the people of Israel are the priests. And who are they to minister to? All the peoples. The whole earth is God. So right before, before they even get to Ten Commandments, God's, God's saying, hey, I'm claiming you out of all the nations. The whole earth is mine, but I'm setting you up as priests. You are going to be the, the go-betweens. You're going to show the world me. Flip quite a few chapters to First Chronicles, okay? There's really some in every book, and we could have hit one in every book, but 
we would have been here. <laughs> you guys would have said, whoa, I'm glad he's gone. Um, so we're just doing some, some big ones. This is another big event, First Chronicles 16. So the Israelites have received God's law. They're following God's law after, after a few bad no-nos, as we'd say in our household. After a few bad no-nos, they get back on track, and now they're in the promised land. And they have their first, well, second king, David. The first one didn't really work out so well, Saul. And so um, one of uh, David's earliest plans is to get the Ark of the Covenant, the symbol of God's presence, back to Jerusalem, um, back to the city of God. And so it's a big occasion in the history of Israel. It's a big occasion in, in redemptive history. The Ark symbolizes God's presence, and, and uh, um, David wants the Ark brought to Jerusalem. And so as they're celebrating that, as they're celebrating the return of the Ark to, to this, the epicenter of God's people... If you look at verses 23 and 24, this is what David sings out. In 1 Chronicles 16, verses 23 and 24, in celebrating the presence of God among the city of God, in, amidst the city of God, David says, Sing to the Lord all the earth. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all the peoples, for great is the Lord and most worthy to be praised. The mission of God, right in the celebration of returning the Ark of the Covenant. Let's keep going. Let's find another. Psalm 67. A little left of the middle of the Bible. Psalm 67 is often referred to as the Great Commission of the Old Testament. Psalm 67 verses 1 and 2 say this, May God be gracious to us. This is his people in worship. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. Why? So that your ways may be known on the earth, your salvation among all the nations. In worship, in celebration, the heartbeat, God's mission, is always present. If you look for it, you will see it. Turn with me a few, uh, about an eighth of an inch, to the right to Isaiah chapter 10. Oh, sorry, Isaiah chapter 12. If this is your first time in an evening service, don't worry. This normally doesn't happen. This is, uh, this is more of a Bible study than a sermon. But in Isaiah chapter 12, let's look at verses 4 and 5. Isaiah 12, 4 and 5, the prophet says this. In that day you will say, give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, make known among the nations what he has done. And proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for he has done glorious things. Let this be known to all the world. In Isaiah's prophecy, he's saying, Hey, the blessings of God are never meant to be bottled up. The blessings of God is never meant to be bottled up. Tell people. Tell about what God has done. He's done marvelous things in our lives. Tell the whole world what he has done. Tell your neighbors. Tell your coworkers. Tell your family. 
Let's keep going. Isaiah whoa, 42. This is a famous passage because it's quoted um, about Jesus in the Gospels. Isaiah 42. Let's look at 5, and, 5 through 7. This is what God, the Lord, says. He who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and all that comes from uh, out from it, who gives breath to his people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open the eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release, uh, and, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. God is saying, I've created everything, and here's what I've called you into righteousness, and I'm going to take your hand, and I'm going to walk with you, and I'll be your God. You'll be my people, and you'll be a light to the Gentiles. Boom, right there. The people of God are never called to be the people of God and just stagnate. It's always part of God's ongoing mission, ongoing redemption. Just three chapters later in Isaiah 45. Isaiah 45, 5 and 6. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. I will strengthen you, though you have not acknowledged me, so that from the rising of the sun to the place of its setting, men may know there is none besides me. Isn't that cool? That even though we're unfaithful, God will strengthen us so that from the rising of the sun, from the eastern horizon to the farmost western horizon, men may know there is none like me. All right, this is a tough one. Jonah, if you can find Jonah, you, uh, you win a soda out there. There's a bunch of ice cold soda that you're welcome to have. But if you have Jonah, you can have the first dibs if you find Jonah. It's after Obadiah, which is just equally as hard to find. It's before Micah. Jonah is a short book, four chapters, and guess what? The whole entire book is about the mission of God. The story of Jonah is that Jonah is a prophet, and Jonah is commissioned to go to Nineveh, the capital city of Assyria. They are the enemies of the Israelites, the enemies of the Israelites, and God wants to send Jonah to, the, to them to preach his word so that they could turn around and become the people of God too. Jonah won't go, so he runs away and gets swallowed by a fish. It's a good thing God doesn't do that when we refuse to share his word. But the whole book of Jonah is about God's mission, going to even your enemies to proclaim the possibility of forgiveness and repentance. Jonah eventually does, and for at least a little while, the people of Nineveh turn around. They repent, and they... Uh, they honor God. Let's flip to the New Testament. Matthew chapter 5.
in Jesus' first major teaching moment in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, you are, a light, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do put, people put... Uh, Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. I should have included verse 13, too. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? God is saying, I've given you all gifts. I've given you all personalities, experiences. You're the light. You're to shine. You're salty. You should, you should make things tasty. Don't put a bucket over the lamp. Because then we'll be in darkness. Let your light shine. There's mission. Right in the beginning of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. We could do many uh, passages in the gospel, but I'm, I just want to pick up on a few more. Matthew 28. This is the, I couldn't, I couldn't uh, go without talking about the Great Commission. Matthew 28, the last part of the Gospel of Matthew Starting with verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority, this is after the resurrection, okay? He's gathered his disciples one more time. Here's the game plan. Okay, now that I have died and rose again, this is what I want you to do. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very ends of the age. A very powerful commandment to keep that Abrahamic, go, I'm sending you, and I'll bless you, and I'll be with you as you go. Let's go to Luke. Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15 is uh, verses 1 and 2 talk about the setting of uh, a, a series of parables Jesus tells. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. This man engages culture. Sinners and tax collectors were not religious stuff, not sacred people. So Jesus tells a parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son, to say, hey, my father cares about everyone. My father cares about those who are lost from God. In fact, if you would just flip a few pages to Luke 19, you'll see that Jesus gives a little purpose statement right at the end of Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus's life transformation moment. In Luke 19.10, Jesus says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. What was lost from God. All right, we're on the final stretch. John. Chapter 10, Jesus gives another incredible sermon about how he's the shepherd and we are his flock. If you look down at verse 14 of chapter 10, John 10, 
It says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep. And then listen to this. It's a little bit of mission of God if you're listening. I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The mission of God, God's calling, is found, if it's not right in the forefront, it's in the background, or it's being played, played in the, on the radio uh, that can be gently overheard in, in the passage. A couple more passages. John 20. John gives a sort of practical Great Commission through, the, through retelling an event that happens on Resurrection Sunday. In John 20, verse 21, Jesus appears to his disciples for the first time, and they're all overjoyed, and they're a little bit afraid, and he says, peace be with you. And then he says this, as the Father has sent me, and remember we read John 1 at the opening of the service, how Jesus made his dwelling, He's, he moved into the neighborhood, as the message puts it, and showed God's grace and God's truth. Jesus is now commissioning us the same thing. Just as the Father sent me, I am sending you. Flip a page, or maybe it might be there in your Bible, Acts chapter 1. Jesus' parting words before he returns to the Father. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Here's a game changer in the rescue mission, the Holy Spirit. We are not uh, under our own muscle. We have God directing us and leading us and empowering us. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on, uh, on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. One of my favorite passages from Paul, and Paul is riddled with the mission of God, is 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Are your fingers getting sore? I'm hearing less pages turning. They're like, don't worry, we only have three more. Three more. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul is talking about how he goes out of his way to associate with different people. Although I am free, I can associate as a slave. Although I am a Jew, I can associate as a Jew when I'm talking to the Jews, but as a Gentile when I'm talking to the Gentiles. And then in verse 22, look at 1 Corinthians 9, 22. To the weak I become weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all men so that all pos- by all possible means I might save some. I do this all for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Man, Paul bled the mission of God. Second Corinthians 4. This is just a small verse, but it, it taps into the shalom with God idea. Paul writes all his sufferings, all his perseverance, all his hardships um, is for the benefit of the, the, the Corinthian church, the church in Corinth. Verse 15 of chapter 4, it says, All this is for your benefit, so the grace that is reaching more and more people, the gospel, 
The grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. So God gets glory when we undergo his mission. We're down to one. Oh, I'm sorry, two. I didn't see that little guy. Second, um, Second Peter chapter 2. Oh, sorry, Check 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God wants to be in a relationship with his people, his creation those who know him now in church and those who don't know him outside church. He's patient, he's waiting, and he's given us the mission to carry out. Last one, 1 John 2, 2. Talking about Jesus as our source of forgiveness, as our defense attorney, John writes this, Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the world. There are people that need forgiveness. There are people that need restoration. They need shalom. They need to be reconnected with their creator, and they need to figure out how to reconcile with one another. And the only way that shalom is going to happen is through the cross. Jesus has reconciled us to God, and we're, we can take benefit in worship. We can take benefit in prayer, in scripture reading. We can figure out how to love one another better, how to forgive each other, how to uh, serve each other. There's a whole world who could use that love and reconciliation. And from Genesis to Revelation, God is inviting us to that mission, inviting us to partner with him. I entitled, um, well, no, I didn't entitle this, but uh, I think in the little, uh, this evening in, in the bulletin, I talked about this phrase, make your days count. Um, count your days and make your days count. It, it's, a, it's a little play on words that I heard um, a long time ago by a, uh, a, a Christian artist, Chris Rice. And it, it was a prayer. And, and in this prayer, he says, Lord, teach us to count our days. Lord, teach us to make our days count. And uh, this really helps sandwich in the mission of God. Because if we can count our days, if we can realize that, hey, you know, in 30 years, where will we be at? In 50 years, where will we be at? Our life is but 100 years at best. Or if you're me and haven't been taking care of your teeth, at worst. We got 80 to 100 years. That's really a, a, just a, a, a little drop of sand on the beach of eternity. Count your days and realize that it's not all about you, that there's a bigger plan, there's a bigger purpose. And then, after you've counted your days, make your days count. Be intentional. Figure out how to align certain 
things in your life to focus on the mission of God. What I mean by that is simple things like, what am I going to do with my Saturday morning? How can I help impact God with my neighbors or my neighborhood in that time spot, that free time that I have? If you're driving through the drive-up line, the drive-through line at a, a fast food place, and you see a guy, homeless guy, on the corner, and it's 100 degrees, order an extra large iced tea, and give it to him, and say, "God loves you," and this is a little expression of that. How can you count your days, and how can you make your days count for God's greater mission? Jesus says in Revelation 21.5, I am making all things new. May we join him in that every day. May God open our eyes to ways that we can do just a little something. Joining God's rescue mission will always be inconvenient. It will always be a little difficult. It will always be a little uncomfortable. From Genesis to Revelation, we see that. But God calls us and he says, if you go, if you leave your comfort zone, if you go where I could possibly be sending you, I will be with you and I will bless you. Jesus says, lo, I am with you to the ends of the earth. The challenge for myself and for all of us how well How fully will we engage God in his mission? Let's ask for God's help in carrying that out.